Welcome to You Wear It Well. Hi, I'm your host, Jeff Heiserman, physical therapist and founder and CEO of Spectrum Ergonomics and Occupational Health Services. We're at the intersection of fashion and technology, otherwise known as wearables. We look at the people, products, and research that make up this exciting world of wearables. Are you a fashion designer, electrical engineer, or someone with the dream of designing a wearable? Apply for membership to my LinkedIn group page, Biotech Fashion, and join in the discussion. Spectrum Ergonomics and Occupational Health Services provides a broad array of design and engineering professionals for your wearable project. We feature the following design specialties. Pattern making, digital textile, athletic wear, sensor, fashion, exoskeleton, robotics, and mechatronics. We also offer beta testing of your wearable in our private clinic. You choose the demographics and sample size, send us the sample, and we take care of the rest. For more information, go to www.spectrumergonomics.com for more information. I'd like to welcome you back to another episode of You Wear It Well. And my very special guest today is Azade Dasmalchi. And she's doing something pretty incredible right now, but the show's not about me. It's about her. So, Azade, would you please share with our listeners your story? Hello, everyone. And thank you, Jeff, for having me today. Um, I'm Azare Dasmalchi, CEO and co-founder of a company named uh, Vital Tracer. And um, it's a medical-grade um, device in a wearable form, which is the watch on the wrist or a patch on a chest. And using um, optical sensor and AI technology to measure all vital signs, including blood pressure and oxygen level. That's and that's a lot for one little device. Tell us a little bit about how did you decide on this particular device? I mean, obviously, somebody has your level of intelligence and, and could pick anything. Why this? Um, the stories um, started from my dad, who diagnosed um, hypertension from since 2010, and uh. So I, I bought a cuff devices for him and he really doesn't like it at that time. And um, so I, I find that he really struggled with the cuff and um, the device was not trackable. So he needs to write it down each time and bring the note to medical doctor each time. And he usually forgot to do that. So I, I try to find some things like uh, in form of, uh, wearables, specifically watch that he used to wear, and I couldn't find it at 
the same time I start my master and I need a thesis topic. So I, I ask my supervisor that if I can work on a cuff less device for blood pressure. And um, so I, I started reading like around 500 papers, articles, list all the issues with the current devices and try to come up with the solution for cuffless devices. And um, after it took like a f- three years to find the method, maybe two, three years to do a proof of concept and then build the prototype, run a pilot studies and go on. That's a lot of work in, in about 20, worth, 20 seconds worth of talking that you did. Let's, let's go back to that, to that um, moment when you were in your master's program. And you decided this is what I want to do. How frustrated were you when you started to look around and see there's nothing out there? There's there's nothing I can even begin to even think about making a device. So was it was it really frustrating for you? It was really surprising me that this technology didn't change uh, since uh, a century. So from 100 years ago, the device had a cuff and uh, it, 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 it's get that from manual to automatic version, but it's still the cuff. So it's really surprised me. And it's like, we are in a century of AI and uh, like a robotics and we talk about a space and lots of things, but we are still using cuffs. Like it, it need to be changed because of uh, we need to upgrade our devices specifically especially medical devices, with working with elderly. We need to make it much more easier to use for them. Yeah, I'm, I'm, you can probably see me laughing on the other side because, yeah, in the medical field, we're a lot further behind than people think. We're, we're using some pretty old equipment still. Uh, and it surprises a lot of people that how can you see patients and you've got this 100-year-old equipment? Like, well, because most of us don't have the intelligence level to design something. We're busy treating patients. We don't have the engineering mind like you do to do that. So you went from that surprise frustration and you talked about a couple of years to do this and a couple of years to do that. So what was your first step? You decided we need something wearable, not just for my dad, but but for all the patients. So what was your next step in that master's then working on? What was the first thing you took a look at? You obviously had a watch design, but what was what was after that? What did you start to take a look at with the watch design that you needed to accomplish this? Oh, um, actually, before that, I read the like 500 papers to find what is the main issues with the current devices. And I find that the cuff. So I come up with a couple of like each six months I give a proposal that this is the potential solution that we can work to make it cuff less but it took uh, like a two years to to finalize the the potential solution and then it took a year to build a first prototype because we want to be something in design uh, to be like a really the users will be really comfortable so it need it has to be user-friendly and not disturbing them while they are sleeping and doing daily activities or anything. So I find that my dad is always used to wear his watch. And it was like, oh, if because I come up with the optical sensor goes on a watch, that would be awesome. It's uh, before I watch designed. Um, so there is no Apple or Samsung at that year's. 
So I come up that, okay, if this could be possible solutions, but we are not a big company, there wasn't any like a funding. Uh, and uh, I used my student loan to buy all those stuff to build it. That's a really important point that, you know, the listeners should find very interesting is that, yeah, where, where do the startups find their money? Well, they borrow it from family. Maybe they get it at the bank. Uh, maybe they use their, they get some money for a, a birthday gift. And so they, they're saving all these pennies and dollars and use some of your student loan money that which turning out to be a really good investment. It sounds like. So it just, it, not only do you need intelligence when you're doing a startup wearable, but you also need a lot of persistence and just keep moving forward. Cause you talked about two years to get the technology down and then start with the prototype. So let's talk a little bit about the prototype. How, how much of a struggle was that in that one year that you took to put the prototype together? How many, how many false starts did you have where, Oh, this is, Oh, it's not working. Oh, this is, no, that's not working. Yeah. Um, Okay, um, the, the proposal that I came up with, it's an optical sensor device, like a pulse oximeter, but in form of the watch. So it's a reflect method, we said. And But at the same time, um, I implement the artificial neural network as well. So I, I, I say that, okay, I'm going to work on a software part, but I need a partner to build a hardware for me. Although that my background is a biomedical engineering and I used to, I love to build the device in terms of electrical and mechanical design, but I said, okay, I have to learn ANN and AI and I need someone as a partner to build the device for me. And, um, and it took care, like I worked with the four different companies and people and uh, postdocs to build for me than they couldn't find. But, and then at the final, I find a, a, a friend of mine who referred me with another genius guy and he's still my partner since 2014, I think. Okay. And that's another good point you bring up is it interdisciplinary work. Yeah. These wearables, yeah, you, you, there's not one person knows it all to be able to put it all together because they're so complicated. There's so much that goes into these devices, no matter what they're sensing. So I think that's a really important point. Okay, so once you got the prototype together and started to test it, with how did that go? It wasn't work at the first time. <laughs> So we we had uh, we still have a uh, trouble when we optimize our device, but working with the uh, like a firmware was a bit challenged. Uh, but like scheme colored, we find that at the very first time that is challenged because um, people with the darker skin color, um, we, we couldn't get the good signals. Uh, hairy people. Hairy people is also a main issues as well. And uh, age, because for seniors, because I, my, my, my wish that I want everyone to have a parents um, who live longer, healthier, and independent. So I, I would love to work with the parents and will mature. Um, um, I don't want to say senior, but I say senior <laughs> will mature adult. <laughs> Um, and, uh, so the, like the skin thickness and all those are, are 
it's like all the issues that the hardware and we try to each iterations come up with a solution. And then the 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 second ones was finding volunteers to to test the device as much as possible, especially um, people with the darker skin color couldn't find them. They can't trust us uh, for for testing the device, although that we got the um, ethical approval from uh, my university, which was um, University of Ottawa. Uh, and it, the safety is guaranteed and everything. And we uh, paid them for their um, as accommodations for the hours that they spent with us, but had a struggle with finding uh, people who test the device, especially dark skin color. Yeah, it's a, a good point you bring up. Sometimes these are things that we don't even think about. We get so excited putting together a prototype. We put, in your case, you already had three or four years in. It's like, I'm ready to test this. And then all of a sudden, uh-oh. Yeah, what about skin pigmentation? What about um, lots of hair follicles to have to try to get through? And like you said, changes in skin. As we age, our skin gets very thin. It's like papery thin. And that's very different than skin that's very pliable. So yes, things we, we would never really even think of that you have to face. How much of a setback was that for you in having to get the optical sensor becoming more sensitive to those changes with skin pigmentation and hair, more hair follicles and the you know changes of skin that we experience with aging? Mm, all of those I can sum up with the two years but um, to be super honest with you we are still come up with the potential solutions that we can optimize it for solving completely these issues still the project is ongoing and not going because it's some parts hardware some parts coming from firmware and some parts that recently we are implementing different ai to make it um, much more better and optimized Now, let's talk a little bit about the AI, because I know that interests a lot of people. Where do you get all this data, what we call the big data with a capital D? How how daunting is that? How difficult of a process is that when you say, okay, now we've got volunteers who can wear these watches and we can get the data, but how do we categorize the data so that we can use it as part of our AI system so then we can use it for diagnostics? We can use it for predictability. Um, Because I mean, in the long run, sometimes you can use these devices to predict that somebody might be having or might have a problem with their heart. So how long of a journey was that to collecting the data and then turning into the big D, big data? Um, I have to confess that still we don't have a big data with the capital D compared with the like imaging that uh, people using in hospitals like x-rays and MRIs. Because working with the patients and get the, the good data is uh, the most challenging part, I can say that. But it's still sufficient data. Of course, as m- like a larger, much more better. But, um, but you can come up with the, the first round of proof of concept and pilot study would be work with uh, like a 200 uh, subjects. Especially that... Especially that they are not uh, hospitalized. Um, so uh, the, that is the first challenge. The second 
The second one, we need a clean data because if you make a, like a, you can make a lots of data, but uh, can be junk data because you want to make sure that it's uh, it has a less noise, more signal. It's a clean data. It's uh, what it called. Um, all the parameters that you added beside the signal and data, it's like age, weight, height, gender, all those are, are very important for the algorithms. And uh, even ethnicity, race, we, we had even uh, lots of challenge with ethical board and committee to, to ask them that, uh, like, we need them, we need these informations. I was like, Sometimes it becomes challenge, but then the second challenge was cleaning the data, and uh, that was a another step. And then the rest would be much more easier. What did you do with regards to validating what the watch was putting out? How did you do that validation of that? Because that that's important too. You want to make sure what you're actually, which your watch is reading, is actually accurate. That's a good question. So there was a two phase of validations. One, you we validated with the cuff device, which is available in a market, but it's FDA approved and Health Canada approval. So it's uh, like a well-known, the best one, the most accurate one. And when we get the, the watch reading blood pressure, systolic and diastolic, then we installed the, the cuff device as well to tell us the systolic and diastolic, and then you get the difference. And uh, like there is a different standards, like in America say that if the the difference would be five millimeter of the mercury for at least 85 subjects, that would be acceptable. So these are like a mean error, standard deviations are the parameters. So comparing with the the medical FDA approved device. And the second one, which is the best, but it's another challenge that goes to hospital and use um, at the ICU level invasive device, which is goes directly in artery and measure the direct blood pressure. Uh, we are in that phase right now to have the gold standard, which is the most accurate one, to make sure that we have the less error margin as much as possible. Because some of uh, medical doctors say that the cuff device already have an error itself. Even FDA approval, they have, because it's indirect measurement, they implement a force not measuring blood pressure directly. So we second step is measuring with the comparing with the direct blood pressure measurement. What challenges are you running into with that? Because obviously that's not something that's used a tremendous amount in an everyday medical world. And on top of that, these are people that are probably in the intensive care unit. They're probably, their health is very, very fragile at that point. So how tough is it to get into those facilities and say, can we, can we use this to compare what you're getting from that device that they're using. Yeah, we are located in Montreal in Canada and we are working with Health Canada. So Health Canada have a one pre-step before for, for running the clinical trials officially in KITA, investigation testing authorization. And we Canadian are, are not that much fast as 
US people, we are very calm because we are living in a cold weather, right? So we are very slow, like a slot. And uh, so it took a year to get the ITA approval. And for these medical devices, it's all about uh, time and money. And it took uh, like $200,000 to get this approval. And then now for recruiting patients at the ICU level um, and having invasive blood pressure, because some of them are at the ICU level but doesn't have an invasive um, catheter inside their artery. So that's a very time-consuming as well. And running a clinical trial in a hospital has a lot of challenge, including time and money again. Are you a startup? Wearable company? Don't know where quite to go from here? Well, you have the questions. And Spectrum Ergonomics has the answers. Go to our company website at www.spectrumergonomics.com and click on the link Wearables. There you'll find a wide variety of services and other contractors that we work with to help make your product become a reality. We're here to help you through the process of iteration to packaging and beyond. Hey, if you're a startup wearable company, and you'd like to be able to get your information on this podcast, please contact me at my company website, www.spectrumergonomics.com. I'd love to be able to feature a little bit about what you're doing to let the world know about your wearable. Well, thanks for joining me at the intersection of fashion and technology. And may you wear it well.